on behalf of adi and finding purpose we welcome you to future scape a brand new series of web events that talks about the conscious design and its dire need in building a more sustainable adaptive and responsible post pandemic adi is a networking is a network representing professional interests of indian design community creating a meaningful interface between design professionals people as users the industry education institutions students and policy makers my name is akhil karanam i am the head of industry outreach at adi hyderabad and your host for today before we start today's session we'd like all of you to take a quick poll to help us understand today's attendees better our speaker for today is namisha naidu as visual communication designer founder at rootred design and as design educator since the last two decades namisha a homeschooling parent is also a maker and avid gardener people in communities who question the status quo and dare to do what needs to be done for the larger good inspire her at many levels which is testimony to the theme she has chosen to speak to us about today Our theme for today is design and the elephant in the room. Design and the elephant in the room talks about the things we'd rather not and the roles we play as problem solvers. To give us a perspective about denial, design and degrowth and to take us on a ride on the proverbial elephants in the room we are generally uncomfortable uncomfortable riding. Please welcome with a warm round of applause Namisha Naidu. Thank you so much Akhil. Hello everyone. It's good to see that a large part of the audience joining in uh, comprises of students. being an educator i'm always happy being with students so before uh, i start with this talk which is essentially compilation of my thoughts based on my personal experiences across education across my practice as a designer as educator and as a person uh, but before i start with that i'd like to have a quick poll so the poll asks how do you see yourself 10 years down the line in a well paid job doing the kind of work i love doing running a successful business of my own in a refugee camp for people displaced by natural calamities and extreme weather living with a community of people leading a conscious mutually cooperative sustainable lifestyle in the middle of a civil war on the streets for water and food and let's see how most of us see ourselves 10 years down the line oh wow that is a surprise we have 53% saying they're living with a community of people leading a conscious mutually cooperative sustainable lifestyle who would have guessed that's great so um i'll start with my talk now it is uh, going to be a continuous talk at the end of which we'll be having questions from the audience i'll be sharing slides as i uh, talk about the story that i need to share So the yes. talk is titled "Design and the Elephant in the Room," and uh, I'd like to share the story where someone I knew was addicted to drugs, alcohol, and a few other things, and he was admitted forcibly to a rehab for around three to four months, and he was there for that duration along with some fifteen other odd addicts who were similarly addicted to one thing or another, and each of them had left a trail of horror stories at home. broken relationships traumatized parents abuse of every kind verbal emotional sexual emotional all kinds one addict for example had held a gun to his wife's head in front of two of his very young children because he couldn't get what he was addicted to now you might be wondering why do we even wait for so long for so much damage to happen why don't we get them treated fact is unlike any other illness say you have a back pain or you have a heart problem addicts do not believe that they have a problem they feel they are in complete control of it they have a condition 
that's called denial. It's refusal to accept the reality or truth in spite of obvious horrendous consequences. And when questioned, when told that they are in denial, they will deny that they are in denial. They will blame someone else. They'll say, it's not my fault. It's my job. It's my relationship issues. They'll project it on you. They'll say, it's you who's the problem. I can stop it whenever I want. I'm in complete control of it, but I do not by choice. So while we have these set of individuals that we in this society consider to be misfits, and unable to cope with realities, locked away in that rehab, receiving therapy. The rest of us outside here are living the lives that we choose to live normally. Progress, development that we've been taught since childhood, this is the narrative to follow, get a good education, get a good job, earn enough to be able to buy the things that you can put as symbolic of being having reached somewhere but someplace this narrative doesn't seem to fit in because when we look at the consequences all over all around us covid being one of them something doesn't seem right this wasn't part of the narrative that was taught to us getting a good job getting a good house and a car no one told us about this that extraction that loss of biodiversity will accompany our trail of economic growth. So it's becoming very apparent that economic growth cannot be hand in hand with the planet's survival. It's either the GDP or well-being. Because GDP doesn't look at what cost GDP is achieved at and what gets sacrificed is well-being. But the moment you mention GDP and re-looking at GDP, the first thing thrown at us is the good old Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, we're told, well, what about our needs? Aren't we supposed to be earning enough, et cetera, et cetera. We have our basic needs, psychological needs, self-fulfillment needs. Fact is, we often confuse needs with greed. Need is what we need to survive, to get by, to have enough of. Greed goes beyond. But we are so used to a consumerist attitude that we have normalized greed as need. And to look at it, how much do we really need? Come to think of it, most of you are students here, you, you start earning, what is the first thing that you want to buy? Some of you may want to buy devices, some of you may want to buy a vehicle, it extends to a, something else, and you start traveling and blah, 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 and the circle expands, and why not? If you're earning, if you can afford it, why can you not afford to buy all of this, right? But if you look at the interrelatedness of where and how these things are coming from, we know they all link back to the natural resources, which makes us question at what cost are we trying to get more and more of what we already have? Because greed can be infinite, but our resources are finite. And no wonder we are going through what's called the Anthropocene extinction. It is an ongoing extinction event of species. And we have only 12 years to set things right. So remember I asked you guys at the beginning of my talk, where do you see yourselves 10 years down the line? It's very possible a lot of us will be in refugee camps for people displaced by natural calamities or extreme weather, or in the middle of a civil war on the streets for water and food. 
it's not fiction. It's quite possible this will be a reality 10 years down the line. So what do we do about this? There is hope. Enter the problem solver, the designer. We have training for this, right? To understand the context, to understand the problem and arrive upon solutions. There's the fashion designer for you. The second most polluting industry after. We have industrial designers, automobile designers. We have furniture designers. That's yours truly, graphic designers creating nice packages, which brings us to the question, are we helping create problems or are we helping solve problems? Are we in denial? Are we refusing to see the facts that using the skills that we are taught to solve problems, we are actually helping deplete our natural resources so we can create the needs, designer needs, well-designed needs and make it look attractive and lucrative for consumers to buy some more and some more and justify it with some more. And I teach as a design educator, when I set out to teach students, I also wonder, am I teaching them to look at the larger context and solve real problems or are we teaching in silos? Do we need to teach from a systemic perspective where the interrelatedness of everything needs to be told? and understood and imbibed in the way we practice design. And with all of this, the same confusion for me as a parent with young children, where will they be 10 years down the line? Where will all of us be a few years down the line, given the context? I had a small window of hope when I joined my daughter from a private school that she was in and took her on a homeschooling journey. So the homeschooling journey that we are part of has a center where children come and learn on their own. It's largely run by children and parents. There is a very strong makers culture. It's a very small, responsible, sensitive community. And everything there is through charity. And that was such a shocker. There were no high fees. There were no uh, expensive uh, uniforms to be bought. It is based on a model of gift culture. It is pay as you wish. So if there's someone who cannot afford to pay, they still get as much as the others. Someone who can afford to pay more pays, pays in. And the person who anchors it full time is someone who has studied at IIT, has studied at IAM, has worked with the World Bank and has chosen to quit his job to run the space. And his earning is a measly 20,000 per month. Here's some of us when we'd gone for a homeschooling conference in Goa. This is at the center. Children are making things. We're doing a stop motion. I was for a while a volunteer art and design teacher there. So we're trying to shoot a stop motion animation using an aquarium. We also painted the walls of an NGO. All of us pitched in with sponges. This is again from one of the homeschooling that we were part of. There are all kinds of parents all over India who come for these homeschooling conferences. I'm sorry about the quality of the image though. And all of them are engaging in alternative education. Different kinds, there is homeschooling, there is farm schooling, there is unschooling, all kinds of schooling. Not the traditional competitive ranked schooling that most of us have been part of. As part of this homeschooling concept, there was a very beautiful concept called Darya Dil Dukan. The name itself is so nice. It is where all the people who are coming in at that place from all over India bring in stuff that they no longer use, but, uh, but is in good condition so it can be used by someone else. And on a large table, we keep all the stuff that we wish to give away 
in good spirit and whoever wants to take it picks it up and that's it there is no monetary value attached to it we do not expect to be paid for the good that we are giving away and all these concepts were so unique for me that not everything is run on money not everything is transaction based in nature so from the same learn uh, homeschooling center here in hyderabad we went on a learning journey they go on a learning journey every year uh, so the year that we went to we went across spaces of sustainable living and alternative education so we went for 10 days across five places in and around bangalore and uh, to tamil nadu to very remote tamil nadu uh, chennai at an all inclusive cost of rupees 2350 per head that includes travel and stay everything how did we manage that we traveled by sleeper class we went by local buses no looking for ac or comfortable seating we walked and walked and walked as much as we could all the kids they were around eight kids and three of us uh, adults child carrying their own backpack and uh, we we would have walked almost 30 40 kilometers across the entire journey stopping midway for some rest and we reached the first stop was navadarshanam it's a very beautiful sustainable community around 50 kilometers off bangalore and it was started many years ago uh, by a group of people who bought around 100 acres of land and and simply cordoned it off to prevent grazing and what happened was in 20 years a forest grew simply by preventing interruption through grazing a forest grew and there they these people live in complete harmony with nature there the buildings that they've constructed the cottages are water and energy efficient the bricks that you see are made from local materials they do not have use concrete and uh, the regular way in which we construct our uh, buildings as you see here on top you have all these pipes of course they need to use plastic uh, under certain certain circumstances all the water is collected and all the water is carried through into this place as part of water harvesting the energy consumption there is two units in my house without ac without too many electrical gadgets uh, we consume around 230 250 units per month they consume two units because they're so extremely mindful of the resources that they use because they also know that creation of energy just to create electrical energy causes a lot of pollution on the planet they grow their own food through the use of permaculture which is a method of natural farming and it's based on a beautiful set of principles it's based on whole systems thinking design principles where you work with nature very cleverly very intelligently understanding how nature works and you're using the science behind it to create better produce and working with rather than against nature but what's and that's gopi there here in the white hat he's from iit he studied aerospace engineering he was a technologist at california and he chooses to be living here simply in charge of creation of food so what's most beautiful about permaculture is the three principles that it's based on it says care for the planet care for the earth care for the people and fair share which means you do not use this method to demand more and more of the planet you use it intelligently you use it wisely but you also respect the earth you also respect the people you're growing it for and if you have a surplus you share it and when i heard this about the three core principles of permaculture i wondered why was this not 
the core principles of design practice. So while we were leaving, we did not, we did offer some cash or Miaga amount, but they refused to take it. We were there for around two days. And so we decided to respond in as a charity, a gift culture. We decided to make something for them. And with the natural materials that we had of charcoal and red soil, we drew some art for them on the walls. Uh, there was an elephant corridor which went through close by. So we decided the theme to be elephants and we drew elephants for them with charcoal and smudge. <laughs> From there, we moved on to a very remote place in Tamil Nadu. I won't take the name because the couple there are a little um, protective about their privacy. It's a very, very beautiful place. And there, this couple, architect couple, has built a very beautiful, sustainable community, a mutually cooperative community, where the architect, lady architect, she teaches the tribal children. And the tribal children, the parents of the tribal children, in turn, they offer the food grains that they grow in the farms. So after we reached here, after a very long walk and a long journey, we all collapsed on the floor of a classroom. This is the community dining hall. As you can see, there's no furniture here. So product designers, furniture designers, these are the assumptions that these people have questioned. If you can sit on the floor and eat, then why not? If you can sit, if you need to sit up, why not a platform instead of consuming resources to create furniture, which needs to be discarded? and yet again, some new designs. So furniture designers out of the picture. You see the light sources here, the lamps here, hanging here are made of CDs, discarded CDs and very tiny LED bulbs. I'm sorry, this is not a great picture. They use uh, solar panels and I'm not sure if you can see this. There is a small knob hanging here at the door. This is the door of the architects, uh, the couple's home. And if you pull this knob here, what happens is inside there is this series of brass bells hung in sequence which start ringing. The most beautiful doorbell I have heard so far. No consumption of resources other than human resource of mechanical energy. Their bathroom is open to sky, it's raining and you're wanting to take a shower in the rain, you're most welcome to, or else there's a shower. And that's a soap dish. And that to me is a beautiful piece of design. Any child can make it for any size of soap that you wish to include on it. It could be a large size, it could be modified. It works well in its purpose as a soap dish. It keeps the soap away from the ground, it helps drain it. If it rusts, it can easily be discarded without consuming too many natural resources or carbon footprint. And really, there's no pretension about the soap dish here. They're not trying to impress anyone with the fancy soap dish that they have. They need a soap dish and that's a good design solution right there. This is their living room. You can see these vents here. These have been designed keeping in mind the direction of wind. So you wish to utilize the direction of wind, you change the direction of the vents. Again, very minimal furniture. They sit on the floor or they use bamboo from the forest to create these chairs. The bed is another platform like this with mattress on it, that's it. This was a very unique feature that I saw there. It's a dry pit compost toilet. So that's where you poop, it's a big pit. And once you're done pooping, you use this to cover the poop. And of course you turn around to wash yourself there and that's where you pee as well. So it goes into a separate drain. So the water gets channelized separately and the poop gets collected here. So it turns into 
compost, very rich fertilizer. This is another one with a roof over it. That's another sit out here. So I'm sure all of you must be wondering how do we operate in urban context? All this is very good for you know rural setups and they can afford to do that. What I've realized is it's not so much about urban and rural to start with. We've had E.F. Schumacher in uh, author of Smallest Beautiful talk about enoughness. How much is really enough? And it is based on the premise that materialism cannot satisfy our deeper human needs. And there are limits to what we can produce and consume without damaging the ecosystems that support life. Gandhi in Hind Swaraj spoke of Swaraj or self-rule or essentially self-restraint, that it is down to each individual to practice that in order to truly be free. So when we talk about and degrowth, degrowth is the concept that we've seen being practiced by these people that I've showcased so far. It is about stopping incentivizing its extraction. It's being okay with not chasing economic growth. It's okay with not showing a higher GDP, but it's not okay with having your well-being compromised. It's not okay with the gap between the rich and the poor deepening. It's not okay with the environment going for a complete toss at the cost of so-called development. So because at the moment we are in pursuit of economic growth at all costs, GDP does not consider at what cost is GDP rising because we need it in order to manage our private and public debt because that's the way our current economic system is set up. And like slaves, we all follow that principle. But if you look at it, all that's required, whether you're in an urban setup, whether you're a design student who's taken loans to fund your education, or you are a business person, all that's required is a change in perspective. And the big change that I have seen through my journeys that I've presented so far is this most of us operate from a very individualistic lifestyle or perspective where it's about me and my family. We do not think in terms of a community. It's me, my house, my AC, my fan, my car, my vacation, our vacation, as far as my, our family is concerned. But these people, they contemplate the effects of every action they take on the community and the larger community and the planet per se on flora and fauna, on the larger ecosystem. It's not just about them. Most of us believe in hoarding, buying this and that, showing off, of course, we have Insta and social media demands attention from all of us. And we have the platform to show off what we've bought next. We seek that validation. But if you see in these communities, they don't bother about showing off what they've got because they're so focused on being mindful of their engagement with the resources they consume. They share, they reuse, they recycle. The number of clothes that these people have are very few. They'll probably use just Kadi clothes, which again is very sustainable by nature of production. And they'll fold it, keep it neatly, use it carefully so that they do not end up in a cycle of consumption. Just how many clothes do each of us have? Is there anyone here who has say less than four pairs of clothes? And consistently I've seen across these communities that they are fully sufficient and happy with just five pairs 
or four pairs, just enough to help them get along. And there's just a change in perspective. It's not that they do not have the money. They have a lot of money, but they choose to use it, consume it responsibly. We operate from an egocentric perspective where we are the center of the universe. That we demand, we want, we like, we can afford to, therefore we buy, therefore we consume. But they operate from an ecocentric perspective where they feel that whatever choices an individual makes is part of a ripple system, is systemic in nature that what you do affects everything else around you. And that's deeply spiritual as well, if you ask me. We operate on a very transactional basis where money is the center point. If I give something, something that I'm not using to somebody, I expect that person to compensate me financially. They believe in exchange. I spoke about the Riyadil Dukan. There are Facebook pages of the Riyadil Dukan where people create pages where people can exchange things that they no longer need is in good condition to be used by someone else and the other person just needs to pick it up. There's no financial transaction involved there. We operate from a egocentric reckless perspective. We're not, it's not a pleasant word to hear, but that's how we think about things. We think we deserve it. We are entitled to it because we've earned, earned it. We've worked hard for it. But these people dare to have the courage to be mindful that they're okay with not being seen in fancy clothes, in posh bungalows, going off on fancy vacations. They're totally okay with not showing off and being extremely mindful and humble about their interaction with the environment. And the biggest learning for me has been that the money economy, it's a trap. We've been led to believe throughout that that's the most crucial form of transaction and progress and development it's actually a big lie. There is the richest things in life cannot be bought by money. That's a saying we've heard time and again. And the sooner we get this, inform ourselves, I think as students stepping out to earn money, I'm sure there is a lot of excitement about earning and owning. Remember, we do not have much time to see changes happen later. We are all operating on a, on a very, very tight deadline. It's already, as some people say, very late, but if there is hope, it's in our change, in the way we change our perspective. So just like those addicts back there in the rehab that I spoke of, who in spite of horrendous consequences were in complete denial. I wonder, are we in denial too about the horrendous consequence facing us right in our face, and yet we continue to live the way we are used to because we do not have the courage to sit back think and decide what needs to be done actually? Can we become the designers who actually help solve problems and stop creating problems? Of course we can. We can participate in so many ways. There are very real problems. We can employ all the skills that we learn, even just in foundation, even just in the first year of learning design, you can employ all that you learn to help create better community dynamics, to be more resourceful about the resources that you consume in lifestyle changes, in interaction changes, in relationships that you create with people. There, is, there are many, many problems waiting to be solved. It's up to us if we choose to fall into the trap that we've been led to believe. That's all from my side. Thank you. Thank you very much, Namisha. I think that was all those questions and points that you put forth are really profound and uh, uh, 
got me actually thinking. So, uh, in line with what you spoke to us till now, um, my question and also one of the attendees uh, seem to have the same question. Uh, Ripul asks, what stops design schools teaching uh, from teaching systems thinking? Why do we not learn second order thinking? Why is it that, uh, like in the last point you mentioned that uh, the money economy is the, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's one of the biggest traps that is uh, consequentially getting us to uh, all this quagmire that we, we've gotten into. So why, why is it that design schools do not primarily engage in bringing that kind of a perspective to uh, learning? Yes, exactly. Uh, when we were students, systems thinking was taught to industrial design students. And as design educator, now when I go to design institutions, I, I have made it a point to recommend systems design thinking, even for communication designers. Uh, even if I'm teaching, say, branding, I make them understand that it's part of systems thinking. Although, of course, it is a bit of an apology trying to teach branding, which seems hypocritical in that sense. But systems thinking, very true. People, children need to understand, students need to understand the repercussions, the consequences of each action of theirs. It cannot just be designing, learning how to design visual communication or a brochure or a logo not keeping in mind, is it really required? What are the larger consequences? We simply do not have the luxury of time for that indulgent thinking anymore. But uh, my question here would be, if we as designers and people in the industry, let's say we, our design schools do teach us uh, this kind of an approach towards design and life in general, but how do you uh, make the industry that is coming to us to get their work done, how do you get that part of the system to understand our perspective? Because in reality, as a filmmaker, as an advertising guy, I often see that I come from a perspective where I want to create art or to create sustainable art, basically. But then the client never wants that. Yes. So when that part of the system is trapped in, uh, say, the money economy, how do you uh, manage this? So I think uh, what Victor Papanik wrote in his book, Design for the Real World, he writes very clearly, a designer should be very clear whether he wants to make money or do good design. <laughs> and it boils down to each individual, like I said, you need to know what's enough for you. Are you okay with letting go of projects which do not align with your way of thinking if being sustainable is your choice? And come to think of it, if you're looking for projects which are more meaningful to you, you will attract those projects. There, is, there are tons of projects if you look for it which are far more meaningful than the projects that we think are not, like you mentioned, not, not that meaningful. Right. So I think it's up to each individual. And coming back to what Ripple mentioned, many schools have started introducing systems thinking Ripple, uh, systems thinking even as part of visual communications. Uh, so that's a good thing to see happening. Although I worry again that we probably do not have much time to see it being implemented. So uh, one of our other attendees, Niveth, asks, what can be the roles of a visual communication designer regarding sustainable design? Since all their aims, uh, aim is to increase sales for brands, how can they change their route for a sustainable design as we see here? Yes, very true. I am a visual communication designer myself and uh, I understand where this question is coming from. You're taught to engage with two-dimension design and you're designing brochures and branding and stuff but the fact is no designer can say I cannot look at problems around me and not be aware of that 
right? All of us perceive problems in many ways. Now, whether the solution for that is two-dimensional or it is simply about maybe you create a system of collection of garbage, which probably has nothing to do with visual communication. And maybe you wonder, how do I put into practice what I have learned about typography and stuff? But you start looking for problems around you. That's where we need to stop thinking in silos of visual communication, industrial design, etc. We need to think as problem solvers. That's why we're talking about systems thinking where you need to think of the overall effects. So if you're trained only in visual communication, look for ways in which you can use what you have. If not, also contribute to situations where you may not be employing visual communication techniques and yet you are able to create design solutions mm -hmm. in more relevant ways. Right, right. So another question from, a, from an attendee. Raghav asks, isn't this module you are speaking of how, your, how our villages actually functioned pre-annexation and people lived in harmony? So was colonization actually beneficial? Or was our culture demeaned, undermined, squandered, killed, and then advertised to us again with Western quoted concepts? This is a very interesting question. Absolutely, Raghav. If you read what Gandhi had to say in Hindu Swaraj, is exactly we've been told that the Western civilization is the module we need to follow. And we've been dehumanized, we've been told you're illiterate, you do not know what development is, and the sacredness with which we were living with nature, with people, with communities was again dehumanized and we were told you know nothing. This is what you need to know. This is the Western education that you need to follow. How many of us have been able to put our Western education to good use? Have we not lost touch with the basic sacredness? See anything in my opinion and I could be wrong is that anything which is truly sacred and important can only be very simple and something which can be understood by everybody irrespective of your education levels. Because at the base of it, all of us are connected and we don't need to be educated to understand the core things. And we all know that in spite of all the subjects that we've studied, if we are far removed from how sensitive we are to our interaction with nature, to the way we consume resources, whether we respect our relationships, have we improved in all these areas? Your answer is there apparently for yourself. We haven't. So uh, I'd like to ask here that uh, in this age of globalization, uh, and uh, evidently so that we are still in the colonial hangover, uh, uh, even after 70 plus years, how difficult or easy is it for people to uh, strike a fine balance between um, not losing uh, the global context at the, and at the same time, uh, you know, fitting into the localized context as well? So if you ask me uh, global and local between that, I think the priority should be very clear. What is it that harms the larger context and what is it which benefits every small local action will have global repercussions if we believe in that and do what is best. And that means a lot of sacrifice to start with. You know, if, if you look at these people who are wearing khadi clothes and walking in the torn slippers, even though they have a lot of money, you may say, you know, why can't we just walk in what we have? Fact is what it's just a shift in perspective. And, most of the time we are feeding off each other, you know, we right. 
we celebrate success we celebrate financial success of a certain kind we're forever putting on a pedestal people who have achieved that level of wealth generation right and therefore that becomes the to do thing you know you ought to be as successful to be considered successful so to speak and it doesn't matter if in the process of having arrived as a financially successful person with big offices with so many employees etc etc having so many awards the consequences of having arrived there is not to be seen or discussed so right. we, because we've been fed on that diet of success we take that to be the thing to aspire for although if you look at it if you re- what you really need is very little and if we can encourage each other and not demean each other for living simply yeah uh, it's because i want to impress you that i will buy a new house i do not want to be seen in shabby clothes or i do not want my house to look shabby and then i expect that validation from you but if we become more humane with each other and encourage the fact that it's okay i remember as a kid i used to see uh, uncles my uncles friends officers walking in with darned pants pants which had some holes in it but had been done and they were going to work in Absolutely. those clothes and it was perfectly acceptable it was not anything to be ashamed of but we will spend 2000 to buy a torn pair of jeans but we will feel ashamed to wear something which is darned because we expect validation from each other we have people who have the sense of i'm richer i'm better and you are not so i think at a more humane level we need to connect with each other and say it's okay to live simply and then if that reflects from a local interaction to a global interaction like covid has done right all of us have been forced to cut down on our purchases and suddenly we realize where was the need to even purchase so much in the first place absolutely i've heard a lot of people say this after yes. uh, their experience during the pandemic you know a lot of people have realized that they don't need as much as uh, exactly. they've been craving for unnecessarily exactly. so yeah so uh, this brings me back to the discussion that we were having about a few weeks ago on media group production about uh, this documentary that we were watching about uh, the social networks basically right. social dilemma yeah yeah it's the social dilemma so in that context uh, don't you think it is the uh, pressure of Uh, performing to this invisible crowd that is also uh, in a way bringing us to all these fallacies uh, uh, that we have been speaking about in this session you know all that greed uh, the 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 need the need to be acknowledged so much in and out day in and day out so do you think is there a way that uh, we'd be able to not actually uh, uh you know given to that kind of a pressure uh, while uh, uh trying to uh, implement whatever you have been speaking of if yes, if you can bring in a context with that yes i have kids who are in that age group where instagram snapchat and all of that is the thing to be part of and we i've shown them social dilemma we watched it together we had a discussion and they do understand it did shake them up and what you're saying is very right but i think Uh, the urgency of the situation should worry us all and things will never be easy things will never around us be easy that okay i step out and there's no social dilemma to worry me and i have everything there to do things the right way no there will always be challenges 
And now is the time when we need to be even more resolute in the kind of decisions we make on a day-to-day -day basis. Do we really need to buy that? Can we take a bag instead of a plastic? Do I really need another set of clothes for Diwali? You know, it comes down to that. And I think then it ripples from one, from each individual, again, for the Swaraj concept, each individual needs to work at it at their own level. And uh, then we need to sort of take it forward. It sort of, with the ripple effect, affects a family and a community, a city, a region and a country and the planet. Right. COVID happened to do it simultaneously for all of us, but uh, it needs to start, I think, with the individual. I think COVID was actually your presentation on steroids, <laughs> doing what, what was supposed to be done deeply. Right, right. Yeah. So I, one last question from an attendee. Uh, yeah. So Ishani asks, I read somewhere that the client won't adjust just because something is eco-friendly. It's better. Because often clients are unexpected and they're who we adhere to. So shouldn't we be taught to bring these ideologies into a more modern and luxurious design, which makes both the client happy and go well with our ideologies? So Ishani is basically talking about bringing a balance uh, to the perspective that you're giving and the counter perspective. So, so uh, Ishani, I understand it's again the dilemma of how do you work with the client and earn your money and keep the client happy and yet not feel guilty that you did the unsustainable thing. So again, it's, you need to take a hard call. It cannot, it can, it cannot be so easy. These decisions as I've, and I've seen so many people who are so capable of earning, take these decisions with a lot of determination that no, I will not do this. So it's okay if you choose to do it the way the client wants to, because you need to make the money. And uh, you, like you say, you should be taught this ideology into a more modern and luxurious design. That's very hypocritical, right? What are we trying to do here? So uh, I think it's important that you not be afraid of taking decisions which you think are right. If you think you want to give the client what they're asking for, do it. But also look for more and more opportunities to do what you think appeals to you, which makes sense. At the base of it, what do we really need? If you look at that, we need very, very few things. And Come to think of it, we probably don't need as many designers. Why do we need lifestyle accessory designers? Why do we need so many furniture designers? Have we thought of the fact that maybe we need to stop designing? It's a very strange question to ask, right? Can we stop designing to save the planet? Are we over designing? Are we designing when we don't need to because we're fueling needs? Maybe we do. I think we need to think about that question. That was an amazing way to sum things up for us, uh, Amisha, because <clears throat> what uh, probably our attendees were expecting to listen to, what uh, prospective students of design wanted to listen to was uh, some, something like uh, this, something of a very serious note uh, from the perspective of a designer who's asking people, do we actually need to design so much? So this, I think this comes a full circle in the last uh, question that you asked and left us with. So. Uh, really, thank you for uh, having uh, taken time out for uh, explaining your perspective on uh, uh, on life and design. Uh, so, ADI Hyderabad would like to thank you for joining us and making us uncomfortable with all the perspective that you've given us today. And despite all your warnings, I think uh, close to 100 plus participants have actually attended this session today to get 
uncomfortable willingly and uh, i'm sure they are not complaining as well so we thank all the participants for attending today's uh, webinar with adi wacom design challenge 2020 and finding purpose and we hope to have uh, and and we hope you have had the great takeaways from this session but uh, before we part let me let you in on uh, in on a, a little open secret our guest for tomorrow's webinar is one of the most eminent animation filmmakers in india mr suresh aryat to understand what is it that uh, in each and every form of design that actually strikes a chord with us humans make sure you tune in with us at 5:30 pm tomorrow to listen to and interact with the man himself for access to a year long supply of more such awesome talks and live events please become a member of adi if you're not a member of adi yet do visit our website www.adi.org.in thank you all for attending today's webinar uh, by namisha naidu and uh, so long so good until we meet till tomorrow thank you thank you namisha and thank you all the attendees for joining us thank Lovely you so much session. thanks akhil